Hey folks, I am back from my big conference trip. I was in Wisconsin at Moses and I was in San Diego at Permaculture Voices 2. They were great conferences. PV2 in San Diego was just incredible. Uh, the, the, the speakers that, that I heard and all the people that I saw and talked to. And if, if, if that ends up happening next year, you, you gotta go. So one reason for the trip, a big reason actually, was to just generate ideas and make contacts so that I can bring you some really good episodes in the future. And I think I did that. I am so excited for what's to come as a result of the people I met and the topics that, uh, that gave me ideas for, for future episodes. So stay tuned for that. This week, uh, the greatest announcement that I've ever made on the podcast. This week, you're gonna be hearing a triple dose a triple dose of Quebecois farmer super knowledge. It just happens that uh, I talked to two different Quebecois farmers at, uh, at PV2 as well. I got a surprise in my Skype phone number inbox recently. Dan Brisbois, a former guest of the podcast and a good friend, phoned in with an idea that uh, he recorded to share to share with the rest of you. So today's episode is going to feature uh, Dan Brisbois and Jean-Martin Fortier, another uh, former guest of the podcast, as well as Philippe Chouignard of Oneka Body Care Products. Now you probably noticed those are all men's names, so it's true. What we've got in today's episode is a good old-fashioned Quebecois sausage party. And I'm not going to bother trying to pronounce that in French, so I, I asked Google Translate to do it for me. Saucisse party québécois. Ah, uh, see, but that that doesn't work because that's that's France French, and uh, that would just ultimately upset my esteemed guest today. So I don't have at my fingertips here access to uh, a Québécois accent uh, to pronounce this on Google Translate or elsewhere. So, um, well, let's try let's try Robert. Let's try Robert over at AT and T text to voice. See how he pronounces it. Man. This episode of The Ruminant is a real sauces party Quebecois. Yeah, that, that was okay. But let's hear what my friend Alberto has to say. Me gusta este partido salchicha Quebecois. Well, I don't know, but at least at least he likes it. Okay, so first up, we're going to hear from Dan Brisbois. And this one is pretty self-explanatory, pretty self-contained. Hey, Jordan. This is uh, Dan Brisbois from Turnisol Cooperative Farm. And um, one thing that I thought I would share is we normally do a season review at the end of each season. All the five farmers get together on our farm and uh, talk about the, the last season and, and crunch it. But one of the things we did last year is we decided to bring our employees and apprentices into the process. So we're five farmers, and we brought the five employees and or apprentices into, uh, into the groups. So we were ten people, and we took uh, a half day to uh, to just review the whole season. And uh, we started off a couple of days before we gave, I handed out um, a number of questions, like loose questions to people, you know, what was the best thing, what was the worst thing, best improvement, also stuff like, you know, best song that we listened to in the wash station or, or so forth. And people answer, filled up answers. And then uh, on the actual meeting day, we um, cut up everybody's answers, or cut up the questions, and then put them into a box. So for each time, we got to a new question that we wanted to review. We drew out different people's answers and we could talk about them. Um, so 
having the whole farm team, including the apprentices, as part of this review was really, really enlightening and uh, brought some challenges that we hadn't seen that, uh, from a management perspective, but some of the apprentices definitely highlighted. And it also strengthened some of the, the, our perception of some of the really strong points of the farm, too. So that was a really great idea. And uh, we're definitely going to be doing at least a season review and trying to find more ways to bring the apprentices into uh, into meetings and, and sharing their insights. I mean, having these people on the farm and working all the time, they're really a good resource to to uh, to draw on to improve our farm and also to make sure we can create a better experience for them too and uh, and show how we uh, we appreciate their feedback. So um, that's my innovation. And uh, keep up the great work. Bye. Thanks, Dan. Dan is co-author of the excellent crop planning book called Crop Planning for Organic Veggie Growers. It's available through Canadian Organic Growers, and I believe in various sources for eBooks on the web, if I'm not mistaken. But I will post a link to that book in the show notes. I really think you should check it out. I use it in my own farming system, and it has made me a better farmer. Me gusta este partido salchicha que becois. We good? We're good. Okay, so now we're going to hear from Philippe Schwinar. Uh, sorry, Philippe, that that's just just that's that's just an awful pronunciation. But we're going to hear from from my my friend Philippe. I met Philippe at Permaculture Voices Two in San Diego with his partner Stacy Lecuyer. Philippe produces various herbs that he and Stacy turn into really beautiful body care products. It's uh, a very smart form of value adding. If you want to hear more from Philippe, you should check out the Permaculture Voices podcast. He gave a great interview to the host Diego a few months ago, and uh, it's much more in depth. So Philippe gave a presentation at PV2 all about the importance of branding. And so afterwards, I asked him if he could give me a few minutes to, to tell all of you. And here we go. Hello, my name is Philippe Schwagnard and uh, our farm is Oneka. Uh, we are a value-add uh, based on medicinal plants that we transform and, and uh, include in our uh, hair and body care products. Philippe, thanks a lot for, for joining me on the Ruminant Podcast. Thank you. Philippe, yesterday uh, here at Permaculture Voices, you gave a very short but, but, but very interesting talk about the, the vital importance of branding. Uh, in a farm business, but I guess particularly in a farm business that in which you're producing a value-added product. So, so could you talk a little bit about about that idea of how important branding is, but how how you came to really understand how important branding is? Sure. Well, the the learning that we experienced was really from from doing it ourselves and, and uh, from also working with with people with more experience. Uh, and in the end, uh, when People like us are very excited about what we do, and and uh, we believe in, in in the values and and uh, uh, you know the, the better principles, and it's better for people, better for the earth. And we lose, uh, we I think we 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 forget the importance of actually connecting with people. We forget that there's actually a consumer on the other end who's who's ultimately buying your product, and they may not see it the same way you do, not that they don't value good products, but they, they're not maybe as excited about the farming part and the, and, the, and the swales and the water and the this and the that where they're looking for a good product for them. So the connection between what you do and what they're looking for is through your image, is through your branding. And, and I'm speaking as if 
I've always known this. We didn't do this at the beginning. I mean, the, the first labels we had, the ink was leaking on the, on the labels. And we thought, hey, it's eco, you know, there's no plastic. It's good, you know. And, and people were like, no, this doesn't work. It wasn't practical. So, um, so packaging really, as we came to understood it, is part of the product. Mm -hmm. and, and when I say branding is more than just packaging, but it's the customer experience is how people perceive your service, your product, your, your, your image, your brand. And so um, it is very important. And, and, uh, and uh, if anybody's serious about promoting and, and really building something, then branding cannot be um, undervalued. So I, you, you mentioned something fascinating during your talk, which was you, what did you notice when you went from your previous branding to your current branding in terms of your sales? Well, the last change, which was the, more, the most significant and the most um, research, because obviously we hired uh, branding experts, uh, we don't do this on our own, is that uh, overnight uh, our sales went up 30%. 30%. 30% and, and this is this is you know uh, accounted it's it's counted it, it, there's no it's not it could even be more actually when you really you know look at everything but um, in the end it, people thought it was a new product you know it, and it just shows you how, how before some people were looking right through us and yeah. now they're like hey you know new product it was not, it's been on the market for four years yeah same product just, just same some, product some more eye-catching nothing changed in the product it's all about the dress that we that we put on it's a new dress yeah. uh, period so and I guess this is crucial especially if you are at a level of your production where you can't be there to sell it yourself like if you're selling your value-added pro product at farmers market I guess even if your branding isn't as good, you have yourself, and if you're a great salesperson, then you can then you can use that. But if it's on the store shelf, is where where you're you're leaving it alone to sell itself. Eh? The the point your point right there, I, I think, is is everything. Is that as long as you're there talking about it, your people are able to connect with you. But the, the reality is, this is a you know a shelf stable product, so it's sold in distribution, and so as soon as it leaves. Uh, you or, or sometimes it's just on the shelf by itself, right? So, um, so absolutely. I mean, it's uh, that has a huge difference, and, and uh, you want to make sure that that the story, your your values, and what you stand for is communicated through um, what people perceive and see from you. Mm -hmm. Do you think then? I mean, I don't know if you you feel uh, in a good good position to speculate on this, but we all, I mean, everyone here at the conference or many of us have just farm businesses. I mean, do you think this, you could even take these ideas and like, is it, is it as important for my farm's logo that's going on my business card or is that, do you, do you, would you separate that out and say, no, that's not quite as important, you know, for your general business card or your website banner? I mean, or, or the quality of your web design? I mean, do you think that matters too? Have you guys, have you guys put, since learning this, have you put equal, um, effort into improving things like your website aesthetic and stuff? Yeah, or? 100%. I think that uh, as, as long as you are selling a, a product or service to an end user, yeah. uh, they are the ones, uh, branding image matters. It, uh, I think in, in a case where a farmer sells commodity to a middleman, then, then it doesn't matter. It's yeah. the relationship that you have with your buyers. But, 
But when it comes to uh, even uh, even produce, it's 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 a feeling. People want nice things. People want uh, to feel good about what they're they're buying, and and, uh, and the image is is, is tremendously important, uh, whether we want it or not. And and in a way, it's unfortunate because it's really it should be about the quality of the product. Yeah. But but even though people say it's about quality, they they are conditioned to to judge. A product or service by what they see and how they perceive it yeah and so it's it's ultimately and then you know it goes beyond packaging I mean it's it's the entire and I speak like I, I I'm an expert I'm an expert we're learning this from working with consultants too and and it's about everything that people are in contact with from from your website to your flyers to 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 uh, you know the packaging whatever to your logo it's all part of, of okay uh, so I'm gonna ask you then so I'm gonna ask you something if you you remember back to when when you two were starting the business and it's scary and you're scared to spend money and all the rest and there's a lot of people like that starting out starting a farm business and you don't have a big budget and you're terrified of debt a lot of us feel that way when we start our business right. Would you recommend to that person to like, perhaps they do their own design for their website and logo and stuff, but would you recommend them spending a bit of money and at least showing that to a brand consultant or someone who can look at it and evaluate it? Or, or do you think that that spending that has to happen should, could, could come later? You know, you know what I mean? Like, is it, is it that important that they should do it right at the start so they don't start off on the wrong track? Or? It's like that's a great question. Um, now there's there's a reality to starting a business that uh, you got to be careful. You got to be careful. You got to really uh, know where are where the critical uh, um, investments are, and, and, and you don't want to spend money everywhere. Now uh, I think that there's a point where when we did our third rebranding, we were at a point where we had already been in business for four or five years. Uh, we had a good client base, and we knew that that was stopping us from growing. So it wasn't even a real question that whether we should or not spend it. Yeah. Now we shopped around and made sure we were working with the right people, but it ended up costing us uh, probably close to 15,000 bucks, which is a lot, but it isn't because it, our sales went up 30%. Yeah, right. So the investment was worth it, but we were at that critical point where uh, we um, we had reached a level where it, would, it became an it became an obstacle if we didn't do it. Now early on, we didn't we didn't first of all we didn't value it. Uh, would I start if I started that same business today? I would put more energy there because we would we would grow faster. Yeah, we were limited by the perception people had of our products. Because remember, the problem has never been quality. Mm -hmm. It's always been how people perceive it. Um, so my first thing is, is somebody has to make sure their business is solid. The market is tested. There is a demand. You're serving, you're serving people. You're serving the planet. When that's answered, then step on the pedal and go. Yeah. So, I, so I sense you probably wouldn't have spent $15,000 in that first year. No but, way. but you would advocate maybe spending a bit and, and making sure that you do have something decent to start out. As long as you got something solid. As long as you got something that's ready. I mean... There, there is, you have to know, am I in the research phase right. or am I in the growing phase? Now, I think when you're in the research, you're really trying to validate, is my product or service relevant? Is it, is it serving a need? Once that's clearly answered, then it's time to go. And, and I mean, it's always relevant too. I mean, if you have a, a $50,000 business, 
Well, you don't go out and spend 100 grand on branding. Mm -hmm. And when you have a three million dollar business, well, it's you're probably being cheap if you're not spending if you're spending five thousand bucks, right? Yeah. So it's really relative. But I believe once you are you you have proven that your your business is relevant in the market, mm -hmm. then it's it's your duty and it's important to to make sure that 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 the way people perceive your products reflects its quality and its benefits, right? Good insights, man. Thanks very much. Um, so just, I, I can't, well, one more time, where can people find out about, uh, about, your, about your stuff, about o Oneka? Sure. Well, thank you for having me, Jordan. And the uh, website is uh, www.onekaelements.com. Okay. And if it's all right with you, I want to grab the pre and post photos of, of, your, of, of the branding. Sure. And so people can see, they can go, they <laughs> sure. can go and, and check it out and, and see exactly what you're talking about. Because it's Absolutely. a really, really beautiful set of branding you have now. Thank you. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. Okay, so now we're going to hear from Jean-Martin Fortier. Jean-Martin is the author of The Market Gardener. He has been on the podcast before to talk about that book. It's an excellent book. It's, it's pretty much essential reading for, for anyone with a market garden who, who wants to, to up their game because Jean-Martin and his, his partner, Modelin, have figured out how to do market gardening very, very well. So I wanted to sit down with Jean Martin when I saw him at the conference to ask him specifically about stale seed bedding and even more specifically about the use of tarps in order to, to stale seed your, your garden beds. The use of tarps seems like a great way to, to sprout and kill weed seeds on the surface of your soil before you plant. And so right there is a great reason to consider using them. But as I look for ways to reduce tillage on my farm so that I can maintain more biological life in the soil, which really hates tillage, I realized that, that this tarping method would be a great way to do that. So I sat down with Jean Martin and I asked him about the tarps, the role they play in germinating weeds ahead of time, but also the, the role they play in, in reducing tillage and uh, improving the biological life in your soil. A couple notes. The first is that we were sitting outside during this conversation and it was a little bit windy at times so there's a little bit of uh, ugly noise occasionally in the conversation and I apologize for that. And second, at the end of the conversation, Jean-Martin tells me about a really exciting new project he's involved with and he mentions a website associated with the project, growersandco.com. And I'm going to link to that from the show notes, but uh, this project is so new that the site will be up very soon, but it may not be up today when I release this episode. But within the next few days is when they, they anticipate having the site up. You can, uh, you can check out that link at the, at the Ruminant. Okay, here we go. All right, so I'm here with Jean-Martin Fortier at Permaculture Voices 2 in San Diego and uh, he has graciously offered to sit down with me and get a little more specific about one small aspect of his very popular book, The Market Gardener. Thanks a lot for joining me, Jean-Martin. Hey, my pleasure, Jordan, my pleasure. Jim, I think you, the focus of your book in terms of the concept of stale seed bedding, yeah. can, you, can you briefly summarize what stale seed bedding is and specifically how you use tarps to help you do that? Okay, so it's all about weed prevention. So we're all about that all the time. Mm -hmm. So what you'll do is you have your seeding dates because you crop plant. So you have specific seeding dates. You'll always prepare your seed beds two weeks beforehand. You prepare them. 
you broad fork them, you shape them, uh, you use a, your harrow, your rotor tiller, however you do it, you prepare them and then you water them and you put row cover or clear plastic and the, the goal is to pop up the weeds before you plant. So you have dormant weed seeds that are popping up. Yeah. And then you destroy them either with a harrow on the first inch or with a flame weeder, which doesn't you know move the soil again. And then you and then you see it in that. Because you don't want to disturb more soil yeah. in the process of yeah. killing off. So those that's weeds. why a flame weeder is superior than a harrow. Any, any kind of light tillage or, yeah. or cultivation, right? So that's the stale seed bed techniques. Right. And you should always do that. Regard you should always do that before because you're popping up the dormant weed seeds before you plant. So right. it's less weed pressure on your crop. So with the tarp, so you're doing that, but you're not doing anything. You, it's, it's the absence of light that is destroying the dormant weed seeds. So you're, you have your beds that are prepared because you're working on permanent beds. You've mm -hmm. prepared them like 15 years ago, mm -hmm. and you're laughing every spring at all these growers that are going in their fields with their tractors mm -hmm. in wet soil because your beds are prepared. And then you tarp them for a couple of weeks. And then under the tarp, it's dark, it's moist, and it's a bit warmer. So these are the perfect germinating conditions. And then the dormant weed seeds that are there, they germinate. And then what happens? They die because there's no light. So that's called occultation. So it's the exact same principle, but you're not, you're not doing anything. You're just tarping the ground. Right. So you, you talk about that. All of what you just said is in your book. It's a fantastic book. I recommend, I've recommended before that people go and get this book. Uh, but, and, and I don't think, I don't think there'd be many people that would disagree with what, what the concept that you just explained. But there, I, if I remember correctly, there were just a couple questions I had after reading your book that you answered in your very excellent workshops that you offer. Yeah. So I want to talk about that. Real okay. Quick, okay. Let's do it. Okay. So can you just clarify? What is the order? So you're, you're getting the tarps on a couple weeks before at a minimum, right? Yep, but yep. have you done everything else to the bed before planting? Have you added compost and any amendments no. you're adding or no. anything? So, okay, so we use the tarps for two reasons. In some instance, we want them to get rid of the weeds, the dormant weed seeds. Yeah. But what we've also figured out is that once we would remove these tarps, my beds were prepared without me having to do anything. So that was really the start of what I call the minimal tillage practice that we use on our farm. So the sequence is that we'll have permanent beds. That's right. like the, the basics. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm a strong believer that everybody should work on a permanent bed system, mm -hmm. tractor or no tractor, because yeah. that's where we're going. So permanent beds, and then you tarp it if you have time. Okay, ideally you tarp it. So you keep the tarp for two or three weeks, and it'll well, it, sorry, Jan. Let's back up. Okay. Let's say you had a crop in it. Let's say this is okay. mid-season. Okay. You had a crop in the bed. Okay. Let's say it was it was arugula. Yep. I know because I know uh, I have a sense of your system that you yep. go in with a flail mower. Yep. So you molt, you just you just chop all that leftover crop down. So yep. it's in really small particles that are going to break down easily. Yep. Right. Okay. So you've you've done that. Yep. What's the next step? Is that when you tarp? Yeah. Then. Uh, that's a good question. You can do it both ways. Okay. You can go with a broad fork, you can put your compost, you can tarp, and then once uh, two weeks or three weeks later, two weeks, arugula will take like two weeks and it's going to be destroyed. Yeah. And then you could just slightly go with your harrow yeah. and then your bed is prepared. Or you could just tarp, then remove the tarp two weeks and then broad fork, put your compost and harrow. It doesn't matter. Yeah. 
But what so you're you would, not worried too much about the seeds in the compost. Well, That's what I'm kind of getting. No, at. because I'm buying my compost and it doesn't have any weed it's, seeds. It's well, it's good compost. Yeah, yeah. Like and and every every grower, you should always make sure that your compost doesn't have any weed seeds. Like this is like 101. Yeah. You need to be on it. You need to have your compost pile covered, and you need to make sure that you're measuring temperatures, turning it at the right time, so that you don't have weed seeds and or you buy it. Or if, if you're just not quite as on top of it as Jean-Martin Fortier, you get it on before you tarp. No? That's, yeah, that's a solution, but you should be on it yeah. like I am because I'm not, a, you know, I'm not an amazing grower. I just plan things ahead yeah. so that I don't, I don't get caught up, and okay. that's really key. Okay. But that's a suggestion. You can pop your weeds from the compost by tarping it, but... Ideally, yeah. you don't even have that problem. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know what? The, here's another trick. If, you, <clears throat> if you're having problem with weeds in your carrots and you don't have a flame weeder, okay, you can get compost that doesn't have any weeds. That's really important. Okay? Mm -hmm. And then you can put an inch or half an inch and just roll it onto your bed. Mm -hmm. okay? So you have like a black compost rolled and then you just seed right into that. Okay. And then you won't have any weeds. Yeah, yeah. Because your compost is like the, the first layer and it doesn't have any comp weed seeds in it right so that's a trick to not have any weeds at all but it, you have to have compost that is weed free okay but getting getting back to the the tarping um so so one last question then about 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 what we've just been talking about is there any reason not to get it all on ahead of the tarping if you if you if you're on top of things no your amendments your compost all no, that no you can you can put it and then you would pull your tarp off and theoretically yep, you're good you plant right into it exactly and and you've probably killed off a hell of a lot of, yep. of your weeds yep okay so so, so i i understand your question now yeah. yeah you can do that okay there's no reason why not it's okay. very logical and it's just about managing your time yeah if yeah. you have time to put everything in before do it do it then okay. you're boom you're ready to go and i, I also just want to quickly say because some listeners may not know what a power power harrow is uh, it's 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 a it's a it's a tractor implement that um, disturbs the surface layer of the soil without inverting the layers too yep. much, and, and yep. so you don't mixes. end up it mixes. It mixes without turning the soil up and down so that you're bringing up more weed seeds. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and it's the ultimate seed bed preparation tool. Right, right. You know, people can look it up at themarketgardener.com. They'll see, or they, you can Google it, Power Harrow. Yeah. A great story about that, and I can come back on your show some other time. Is that, man? I've been talking about this tool for the last four years. And it's really been catching on fire. And these Italian makers, these dudes, they were back orders for so many, so long. And then this guy from my, from Quebec started to make some. Mm -hmm. And he made really good ones. And now his harrows are carried by BCS America nationwide. That's incredible. That's super so now cool. We, now we have manufacturing in on North And it's the, it's the first BCS tool that is manufactured in North America. That's really, really And, and the guys from Quebec. Benoit Sivierge. I think, I think all the impressive uh, farmers and builders are from Quebec, it seems. Um, because they all went tree planting or <laughs> cherry picking in, the, in BC when they were young. <laughs> You're such a charmer. So listen, there's another reason I wanted to ask you about stale seed bedding. And it's, it's some in, indirect benefits that, that I, I want you to, to speculate on, okay? I've okay. just spent a weekend at one of the biggest organic farming conferences in the world, at Moses in Wisconsin. And now I'm here at Permaculture Voices. I'm spending... I'm hearing from a lot of people talking about the vital importance of maintaining microbiology in, yeah. in the soil, yeah. um, and also of the vital importance importance of cover cropping. 
But but anyone who's grown veggies commercially knows it's really hard to to manage those two elements in your system, or, or rather I should say it's just it's, it's just it's so much easier to just till 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 and and um, in the process. Um, well, in the, in the case of soil biology, you end up killing all that biology with, with lots of tilling. In the case of cover cropping, cover crops just get really hard to deal with. Yep. It seems to me that if you're a small-scale grower in court, and, and using this, this tarping principle, you're going to, and therefore not doing a lot of tilling, you're, that's a way to, to get rid of residues in your soil while maintaining and even like helping this, the microbiology thrive. As well as by mowing with your flail mower, your cover crops down, and yep. then tarping. That's the way to, without tillage, get that stuff breaking down for the next crop. Am I? Am I right? No, no, you're right on the right on the money. Two things, okay? When we're talking about microorganisms or you know biological life in the mm -hmm. soil, it could be also earthworm, spiders, whatever. Mm -hmm. Their habitat, okay? Yeah. Is how your soil is structured. Yeah. That's their habitat. When you go in with a rotor tiller. You're fucking them up. Yeah, totally, completely. Okay, yeah. so these guys, they need to come back and rebuild their house. Yeah. So they're not very productive. So yeah. that's one thing. The other thing is that all of these guys, what they dislike above all, besides herbicides, and, you know, we don't talk about these things, but exposed, bare exposed soil yeah. is their greatest enemy. It's, it's why you'll, you'll start to see less earthworms in your soil if you're yeah. all the time. They so that's like why these black tarps, they're so great because you're mulching your soil so it's not exposed and you're creating this habitat like let's say for earthworms okay earthworms they operate at nighttime because they don't want to get you know chewed on by the birds okay mm -hmm. so when it's dark when it's moist and when it's a bit warm that's when they operate the earthworms yeah, yeah. okay so when you tarp your soil you're tricking them thinking it's nighttime mm -hmm. and these guys are working 24 hours a day just building beautiful building soil. beautiful soil and you're in you're there just doing nothing you're laughing and then you're even suppressing weeds and then and that's to say that's that's the macro organisms that's to say nothing of the fungi that are we're learning or, or certainly many in the sustainable farming world are really emphasizing how vital they are yeah. and we just we kill them when we when we till our soil yeah, yeah. so you know i'm not saying that tilling is bad or evil or whatever it's just you know you can do it whatever but there's diff better ways to operate on yeah. the long term and you'll get benefits right off the bat. And so that's what I'm, you know, I've been teaching and what I think is that it's not about, you know, just being right or wrong. It's to having an approach that in the long term will make you a better grower or you'll have better produce or better soil. Okay. You know? So that's great. Good. I think you've just convinced a lot of people to do this technique. <laughs> we talk a little bit about the materials, about the tarps themselves. Yeah. Okay. I, I assume you have links through your site or sites yep. to, to some, to, because I, when I read the book alone without checking through the links, I wasn't exactly sure exactly what kind of tarps you were talking about. I knew they had to be black, at least on the, on the underside. Yep. But, um, so the, okay, so they're UV treated. Yeah. Very important. Otherwise they'll photodegrade. Yeah. Eight mil or more, more or around so that they'll last for 20 years. Yeah. But they're, they're plastic food graded tarps they're silage tarps that's what they use to cover up grain on yeah. dairy farms okay and you could get them uh, you know you, there's different places you can get them but the local feed store if they sell you know to dairy farms yeah you'll find them silage tarps so yeah these are these are white on one side aren't they? well they can be white or black yeah or they can be black on black okay. ideally you'd have one that's black on black yeah and the people need not to confuse them with you know clear plastic where this is solarizing 
very yeah. different. Like this is like burning your Way soil. Way higher temperatures. Yeah. So black plastic is mulch. Yeah. So you're mulching your soil. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And you just you just referenced it. They you've seen they, like I I know that one criticism or potential criticism people will have is well more fucking plastic in the system. Right? Yeah. Well, you know, get over it because plastic is it, with the right usage, plastic oh. is the most amazing thing we can have. Like we, trying to grow, you know, crops in in glass houses and yeah. try to pay for one. Yeah. Like plastic with the right usage, and I'm not talking about disposable plastic. These tarps, man, they can last you for 20 years. And, you know, because I'm, I'm farming with tarps, last year I spent $260 for gasoline to put in my BCS, mm -hmm. which is crazy. It's yeah. almost nothing. Yeah. So, you know, petroleum on one side and then a lot less petroleum on the other well, side. Well, I know. So, I, was, I was just going to say, it sounds like what you're suggesting is that plastic tarps are <clears throat> the lesser of the various evils you can consider yeah, and you know, I'm a bit high because uh, this is Permaculture Voice and we're in San Diego and I'm speaking fast here, but you know, I think, honestly, if you're concerned that much about plastic and you really want to make a difference, my advice to you is, man, make a successful farm happen and when, when, when you're at that point, try and go without plastic, try and but yourself. don't put yourself that barrier right up front because farming is already so hard. Yeah. Just, you know, just trying to make that happen first and then after five or six or seven years, you know, then you'll be in position to say, okay, I'm done with plastic. I'm moving on to cellulose or I don't know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you put this obstacle right in front, I think you won't succeed and you'll be frustrated and you're not going to be empowering yourself at all. That's really cool, Jan. Thanks for sharing those thoughts. Now, um, I'm really curious. I mean, you've had a really successful run with your book. What's, uh, what's next? Do you have any other books planned or what's, your, what's, what's next for you? <clears throat> when I'm thinking about writing another book, I feel like sleeping for a million hours. <laughs> so that's not in my plans. And um, I have a couple of projects on the farm and I have a new design that I'm working on for somebody else's farm. Really cool stuff. I could come back later on and tell you more about that. But one project that's been in my heart the last few months is that I've been feeling as I tour around and I look with what's, what's up and what's happening I've been feeling this need for you know perhaps better tools and better equipment for what we do and a bunch of us are getting together and starting a new tool in April company called growers and co yeah and I think it's the shit and I think you should check it out growersandco.com and uh, yeah I think I just feel that that's the next step for us as a group of like-minded people to have like somewhat of a company that represents who we are as a group. And so I'm, I'm thinking about joining as a, a, an ambassador to that brand. Yeah. Imagine that. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I, I really like tool. I, I really like tool designs. I really think that we need to have better boots, uh, better rain pants that have knee pads that I've seen in Europe. All the gear that I see everywhere. So I, like the stuff exists, but it's hard for us yeah, to source in North America. Yeah, and, and that company, what they've asked me to come up with is like the ultimate gear that we need, making sure that when people buy it, you know, there's no second thought. This yeah. is good stuff. Yeah. And you know, I'm all about that, so. Cool. Well, yeah. that sounds really interesting. Yeah. I can't wait to see it. Cool. Thanks a lot. Of, thanks again, Today man, for, for coming on and sharing your, your perspective. All right, let, let's go surfing. Done. <laughs> Okay, folks, that's it. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to be awesome like Dan Brisbois of Turnisol Farm 
and crop planning for organic veggie growers, you should call 310-734-8426 and share an idea with the rest of the Ruminant Podcast audience. Anything you think other farmers and gardeners would like to know. Or send me an email, editor at theruminant.ca. Or tweet at me, at ruminantblog. Talk to you next week. Я очень грустно сейчас, что колбаса партия Квебека закончилась. Why would we live in a place that don't want us? A place that is trying to bleed us dry. We could be happy with life in the country, with salt on our skin and the dirt on our hands. I've been doing a lot of thinking, some soul searching and here's my final resolve I don't need a big old house or some fancy car to keep my love going strong so we'll run right out into the wilds and braces we'll keep close quarters with gentle faces and live next door to the birds and the bees and live life like it was meant to